0: chapter 4. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, there's a blue Bible in the chair in front of you. You can grab it and turn to page 985. And around here we say if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, that blue Bible is our gift to you. Uh, We want you to have God's Word. Colossians chapter 4. So if you could speak to anyone from any time in history. Now there's no language barrier here. There's no cultural barrier. Anyone from any time in history, who would it be? One caveat. It can't be someone from the Bible and it can't be Jesus. I know you're all going to say Jesus. (laughs) And if you weren't going to say Jesus, then we need to have a chat after church, okay? Now think carefully over how you would answer this question. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime conversation. I think I know who I'd pick. I would pick that old curmudgeon, Winston Churchill. I think that that would be a great conversation. I would love to pick his brain. In fact, that's really where you're going to go next in your thought process. What are we going to talk about I mean, you wouldn't want to waste that conversation on the weather or the latest football game. No, you would probably pepper them with deep and meaningful questions. You would hang on to their words. You would sit there and analyze what they're saying. You would ponder. You would think carefully about what you're about to say before you said it. And I'll bet you would never forget that conversation. Well, in Colossians, Paul tells us that we are invited to have a -a once-in-a-lifetime conversation every day. You and I have been given a wonderful gift, and it's called prayer. And we've also been given this incredible mission where we are to be God's communicators to people. You see, this is where uh, Paul takes us next. He is uh, going to tell us that the Christian life is about good conversations. God wants our lives to be full of deep, meaningful, robust conversations for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of his glory to see what God can do and only God can do. Now, if you haven't been with us in this series in Colossians, I'm calling it, Who is Jesus? This is the 11th ser- sermon in the series. If you're saying, whoa, this is like my first sermon, I have no idea where we've been, uh, it's on um, the website, you can catch up with us. And we've seen a couple of things in answering that question about Jesus, but ultimately we've seen that Jesus is the fullness of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So that all fullness in life flows out of Jesus. And we can have deep, meaningful, robust conversations because we are full in him. So we're going to cover two points this morning in this text. Two points. How to talk to God about people and how to talk to people about God. It's pretty simple. So let's look at the first couple of verses. Chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. The Bible says continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which I am account of which I am a prisoner that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak prayer how to speak to God about people So, if life is about full, robust conversations, and if they're valuable, and if we would pretty much prioritize our calendar, give up anything to talk to that one person in that one time in history, why do we struggle so much with prayer? Now, I'm not talking to you as a person who is an expert. When I come to you this morning, I'm not the guy that's buff and he has the six-pack abs and he says, hey, let's go exercise together. No, I'm more like the flabby guy that is sucking wind after 100 yards of sprinting saying, boy, we need to exercise together. Why is prayer so hard? Is it because prayer is not important? Well, it can't be. The Bible talks about prayer all the time. There's over 1,400 verses dealing with prayer in the Bible. And within the Bible, there are over 200 recorded prayers, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible commands prayer, but beyond that, much of the Bible just simply treats prayer as a given. It's something that we do. If you know God, you talk to God. God if you want to be a part of God's purposes in this world, advancing his kingdom, to see the world turned upside down, then you will engage in prayer. So the question is, is, how do we do that? And Paul answers that for us this morning. He's going to tell us how to pray, and he's going to tell us what to pray for. So let's begin by talking about how to pray. Uh, he's going to give us three encouragements. The first is to be devoted Because prayer is work, it is not something that comes naturally to us. It requires devotion. I've never sat down with a person who said to me, wow, I find prayer to be the easiest part of my Christian life. I have not had that conversation one time. But I've had plenty of conversations where people say this is the hardest part of my Christian life. This is what the phrase, continue steadfastly in prayers, mean. It means to be consistent and not sporadic. It doesn't mean to pray intensely for a couple of days and then to fizzle out to nothing after that, but to stick with it, to grab hold of something and to not let go of it, to hang in there no matter what happens. You never give up, even when it feels useless. I have to say, I've learned something of this growing up in Chicago and observing Chicago Cub fans. I mean, these guys are a strange breed. I know that New Englanders like to pride themselves on being devoted fans, but I've just got to say something here. I don't know about that. Okay. Now, I'm not a sports guy. Uh, I don't understand half the things you're saying when you're talking about sports and sportsing and all those things. Uh, but, even though I don't tend to watch football games, I love my mission field and I want to know how the Patriots are doing, so I check up on the scores so that I can have some kind of idea on how to converse with people about football. It's all smoke and mirrors, though. Don't believe a word I say. So I observed a noticeable trend on Facebook. It's just an observation. On winnings days. Patriots Nation is full of joy and celebration and they're waxing eloquently on how this player is the greatest of all time and we've got the greatest coach of all time and we even get a little braggadocious. All in good fun. Losing days. It's crickets or swear words. Now, you could learn something from the Cubs fans. They never give up. They never lose hope. It doesn't matter how terrible the team is. I mean, Harry Carey liked to say any team can have a bad century. God rest his soul. One proud hot dog bender displayed the Cubs' C with the statement, if it takes forever. Now that, my friends, is devotion, and that's what makes last year's World Series so much sweeter for the Cubs. True devotion never gives up. It doesn't even think about quitting. Paul is saying, always be ready to pray. Pray when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Pray when you're full of faith. Pray even when you're full of doubt. But keep on praying. Never give up. Jesus said in Luke 18.1, He told His story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Now this doesn't mean that every word that comes out of your mouth could possibly be a prayer. We know that can't happen. But that you stick to it. That it's a regular part of the habit of your life. That you're having that once in a lifetime conversation every day and through the day. Be devoted. The next encouragement he tells us is to be watchful. You'll notice that Paul moves into this because, again, prayer is a serious exercise. It's serious exertion. Watchful means to stay awake. I just learned as I was studying that the name Gregory actually is derived from the meaning to be alert. So that if you have a a Greg who's kind of cathartic and he's he's waking up groggy in the morning, he needs to change his name to something else. But our uh, Greg, he's pretty alert. He's a great guy. Why do we need to be alert? The enemy Satan can do his best work in a prayerless church. In the Bible, it tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. That he's throwing fiery darts at the saints of God in order to make them ineffective. I also believe that Satan puts up a a barrier around churches. So that people wouldn't come into them and hear the word of God. And if people do come into the church, that he is clouding their minds and their ears. The only way to break through that barrier is not by better preaching. It's by better prayer. And how do we do this? How do we combat his advances? Well, we hold up that shield of faith by praying. It's a prerequisite of everything that we must do as a church. Prayer is imploring God to do what only God can do. Do you want to see someone come to know Jesus? Do you want to see that broken marriage restored? Do you want to see that child that's running away from God come back? Well, you're not going to see that happen by worrying, you're going to see that happen by praying. I live in the real world and I understand that sometimes that exercise of prayer is a day after day, God help me kind of thing. But keep doing it. Because it's not going to get better by stopping praying. It's only going to get better by praying. I believe as a pastor, I'm growing convinced of this, that every word I preach only advances to hit the human heart when someone prays it forward. That's why I feel such a loss this morning. Because one of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever known, Lula Hill is with the Lord. Now many of us are here this morning because of Lula. Because she prayed. She is a true example of a devoted and watchful prayer word, which means, church, that we need to pick up the slack. (laughs) So Jen and Nancy and them, they're imploring you, come see them at the table. Sign up to pray. Make sure that we as a church are accessing the power of God to do the work of the ministry. Everything we must do requires prayer. And Lula left us a legacy, and that legacy will only be continued if we pray. Be devoted. Be watchful. Be thankful. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse pray diligently, stay alert, with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Isn't that interesting? Paul always brings thanksgiving into prayer. See, I believe that the secret, the key to the happy, healthy Christian life is gratitude. You know what's amazing? How the Spirit of God works. As I'm planning sermons and I'm putting them together, you can ask Harry or you can ask one of the pastoral staff. I I plan these things out six months in advance. So that we'd be talking about this text with, I'm not smart enough to look at the calendar, but boy, we're talking about prayers of thanksgiving on the Sunday where we're about to participate in thanksgiving. It's the Spirit of God. It's not a coincidence. Now what does it mean to pray with thanksgiving? I want to give you a couple of thoughts that will help you this thanksgiving to consider prayer. The first is, praise God that he's there. You ever do that are you ever thankful that you're just not looking up to the ceiling talking to an empty void but that there is a living loving active god a personal god that you can talk to a god who doesn't get too busy or too preoccupied with more important matters but he cares about the intimate even the benign details of our life he's there And he's listening, and that's the second thing we can praise God for. Praise God that he listens intently. Have you ever been starstruck? I remember I once had the opportunity to take a well-known preacher and author out fishing, and someone asked me to do it as a favor, but I said yes without hesitation, because I love good conversations, and I wanted to pick his brain. So We spent something in the neighborhood of uh, five to six hours together. We talked about our families. We caught fish. Little ones, mind you. But remember, a better day of fishing is better than a good day of... We laughed. We talked about theology. We were becoming fast, lifelong friends. Well, my delusion evaporated when I dropped him off. He said to me, I had a really great day with you. Thank you so much, Dave. (laughs) I didn't even have the heart to tell him that that wasn't my name, and I guess Tuesday calls were out of the question now. But if you ever stop to consider the gravity of prayer, the God of the universe hears you. God, the most famous one. God, the richest one. God, the highest one. God who dwells in unapproachable light. God who is the one that we should all be starstruck over knows your name. He knows you better than anyone else in this world will ever know you. And he hears your prayers. Not only does he hear our prayers, but he responds to them. We can praise God also that he is more than able to do above and beyond all we could ask or think. I love this verse out of Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 and 19. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show you mercy. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Alexi came into my room several days ago and she said, Daddy, your prayer journal is just so full. How do you write all of those pages? And I said, Honey, Daddy has a church that gives him a lot to pray about. (laughs) It was a great little conversation. She said, Daddy, does God always answer our prayers? I said, I believe he does, dear. Well, then it was like this little light bulb went off in her head, and she ran downstairs and grabbed a book that she had been reading through, and it contained within it a story about Amy Carmichael. Her mom, when Amy was just a little girl, had been talking to her about prayer, and Amy asked the same question, and her mom said, yes, dear. God always answers our prayer, so Amy took that to heart. And that night, Amy prayed that God would give her blue eyes. You see, Amy was born with brown eyes, but she always wanted to have blue eyes because they're prettier. She gave her prayer request to God, went to sleep, and in faith expected blue eyes in the morning. Well, you could imagine how let down she felt when she woke up and brown eyes were staring back at her in the mirror. And she was quite confused. She went to her mom and said, Mommy, you said that God always answers prayer. Or, Mom, what happened, Amy? What's, what's the deal? So she explained that she had prayed for blue eyes, but her eyes were still brown. Well, her mom explained that God doesn't always answer our prayers with yes. And many times we actually learn later as to why he answers no. So Amy tucked that lesson away in her heart and she continued to grow in Christ. Now, Lexi read to me a follow-up story to that story from her little book in Amy Carmichael's life. You see, Amy grew up and she became a missionary. And God had a very special plan for her life, just like he has a special plan for your life. To lead where you are. To wholly surrender your life to him. And to use your life wholly surrendered for the sake of his glory. Well, for Amy, this meant that she was going to be used by God to rescue children from Hindu temples in India. In those days, it was not uncommon for people in India to sell their children to the gods. And these little children, sometimes even precious babies, were taken away from their parents and given over to the temples. And they were mistreated and abused and taught to do wicked things. And children were dying. What do you do with that? Well, Amy couldn't stand by and just watch. So she decided to rescue as many of these children as possible. And, and in order to do this, she would dress in a sari like the Indian women, and she would modify her appearance by putting coffee all over her skin so that she looked darker. There was one thing that she didn't have to do with her appearance. One key thing. She had the right color eyes. Brown eyes. If she would have had blue eyes, then she would not have passed as an Indian woman, but would have been found out to be a foreigner. But thank God she had brown eyes. Because of those beautiful brown eyes, Amy rescued many children who had been sold to the gods she started a home for girls and later for boys, and they learned to know and love Jesus. Well, my little brown eyed girl said to me after reading the story See, Daddy, sometimes no is better. Isn't it marvelous that God hears those seemingly benign prayers and answers them? Brown eyes. Another thing to consider, number four, God is changing you as you pray. How does prayer change us? It reorients our world. It reorients our thought life, stress, anxiety, fear, the most common sicknesses in American culture. These tend to come because of our minds which are preoccupied with momentary things. Anxiety is taking responsibility for needless things and things outside of our control. And too many Christians do that. Well, how does prayer change this? Prayer takes your eyes off of the momentary things and, and sets them on the eternal things. Prayer focuses upon an eternal, infinite God so that all of the problems that we're facing look a lot smaller. When we see them. Paul reminds the Philippians of their need to pray when feeling anxious. He says in Philippians 4, 6-7, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving." Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Did you hear that? The peace of God guards the heart and the mind. As you pray about these things that concern your heart, God speaks truth into your heart. He says don't fixate on whether or not you'll keep that job. I am in control of all things. I provide. Don't endlessly despair about that past decision. You can't go back and change your past. Hindsight's twenty-twenty. Give me your heart today. Don't try to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Your shoulders aren't big enough. My shoulders are big enough. Verse Peter 5, 7 tells us, Cast all of your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Prayer is God's medicine for stress, anxiety, fear, particularly prayers of thanksgiving. Did you notice that? Paul keeps saying, pray with thanksgiving, so that when you're feeling overwhelmed at the end of your rope, inches underwater. I want you to go back through the catalog in your brain and start thinking of all the ways that God has shown up in your life and thank Him. Someone has said that there are only two basic prayers and each is only one word, help and thanks. And if we said thank you to the Lord more often, then we would pray help less often. I better see people flowing out the doors Wednesday night. (laughs) Thanksgiving Eve service. It is a great opportunity to say thank you to God. As we move forward in the text, we've talked about some great truths about how we should pray, but now we need to see some great truths on what we should be praying for. Now maybe you say to yourself, I don't really know what I should be praying for. Well, Paul gives you a really, really good suggestion here. Pray for people's eternities. They need to know about Jesus. So let's read that text again. Colossians 4, 2-4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am a prisoner, that I may de- make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now one more thing that you can add to your Thanksgiving prayer list is thank you God that Pastor Rob is not going to preach for two hours this morning. Okay? You're welcome, buddy. Now, I can't do justice to these verses and just the time remaining, but I do want to spend some time talking about that concept of an open door. And we're actually going to go back to these verses and deal with them more because there is a lot here. So next week we're going to discuss God's heart and prayer and I'm going to cast a vision of what global God-sized prayers can look like. We're also going to see that God wants us to be actively participating in those prayers by being the people that he uses, how to talk to people about God. So let's talk one thing about Christianity. At its core, it's an evangelistic religion. Okay? We are called by Jesus to share a message with people it's a very simple message it's a very direct message as well Jesus Christ is the only way that you can find eternal life he is the way he is the truth he is the life it's not he is a way he is a truth he is a life he's the only way that people come to know God And our aim by the grace of God is to bring people out of their spiritual darkness and into marvelous light. Remember Paul said earlier in Colossians, this is what happened to you when you trusted Jesus. Colossians chapter one, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. So this great evangelistic effort that God has called each one of us into is fueled, is driven, is carried out. Paul is saying here by prayer. God hears our prayers and uses them to open doors so that more people will hear the gospel. Now, that idea of open doors is used multiple places in the New Testament. Yeah, Paul, as he sees the world, he sees it as a closed door that must be opened. And you can think of this in all kinds of different ways. You can think of closed doors as being political opposition, social, cultural, educational barriers. It can be racial tensions that must be overcome in order for people to hear the gospel Uh, There could be other factors. Paul might be asking for favor that an authority in a high place might grant him access into an area to be able to share the gospel. Regardless, Paul believes that God is sovereign over all things, all circumstances, that he can remove any obstacle. He can overcome any resistance. He can restrain any enemy of the faith but only when you pray. This Wednesday I was reminded once again that God can open any door. I was out with Billy Sunday Fletcher and uh, he introduced me to one of his prison chaplains, Pius. As we were having breakfast together, I learned that Pius was the director of Rwanda um, and under his leadership, there are 12 chaplains there in Rwanda sharing Jesus with people. Now, Pius lived through that unspeakable genocide when the Tutsi were slaughtered by the Hutu majority government. It's estimated that some one million Rwandans lost their life during a hundred-day period, April 7th to mid-July of 1994. It constituted 70% of the Tutsi population and a quarter of the total Rwandan population. Now you hear statistics like that, and you just say to yourself, what do I do with that? I mean, it's inconceivable. It's beyond imagination, but not for Pius. Pius lived it. Pius had 12 of his own family members slaughtered. He can vividly remember running through the streets, hearing screams, the smell of blood. He's looking into a church. The doors are open. 250 bodies are stacked upon one another. It was reality for him. Sometime after those horrible days, the Rwandan government incarcerated members of the Hutu who had slaughtered the Tutsi. Pius told me that the courts are so backed up in Rwanda that it would require... 400 years for them to hear every case of individual violence that occurred. But I don't know about you, I ain't got 400 years. I'm lucky if I've got 90. And so, how is the government going to carry out justice? So, here you have in the aftermath a bunch of people that have to live in an unjust world. Well, in the aftermath, God started to work on Pius' heart. It began in prayer. How could Pius make sense of all this? How could all of these victims who have endured unspeakable atrocity possibly move forward? What about those feelings of intense hatred that you carry towards those perpetrators? One day in prayer, Pius heard a voice, an audible voice, say to him, if you want to keep serving me, you will have to forgive these people who have killed your people. So Pius started to pray for the killers. He said, as I started to pray for them, I could feel that I was starting to be set free. Sometimes, church, the closed door is our own heart. And he began to see the gospel in a new light. He began to see the innocence of Jesus and the ugliness of our sin. He realized that Jesus was the ultimate communication of God. Jesus was the one who said, I am forgiving you. And through Jesus, God says, I have freely given you my forgiveness and I've shown it to you by my crucified son. No more powerful message of forgiveness than that. So in July of 1995, God did something even more remarkable in Pius's heart. He told him to go into the prisons and to face the killers, and to share the gospel of love and grace with those murderers. And as he went into that prison, and he started to preach the timeless message of the gospel of grace... And he would say to those prisoners, no one is beyond God's forgiveness. No act of sin, even genocidal murder, could not be covered by the blood of Jesus as he preached the precious gospel of grace. Thousands and thousands started coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the gospel began to do its radical work in the human hearts. Harry tells me that every chaplain in Rwanda, including Pius, has had the joy of leading a person who killed one of their family members to Christ. As Hutu Christians grew in Christ, they began to realize that they would need to sit in front of victims and beg for their forgiveness. Perpetrators have confessed their sin and asked forgiveness. Victims have found healing in a system that could not carry out justice By extending forgiveness. Deep, meaningful, robust conversations. That's the power of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the ultimate communication of God. Before there was time or earth or water or fire, before we were, God had determined that he would communicate with us. You could paraphrase John 1.1 by saying this, "...in the beginning was the communication. And then John goes on to say this, the word, the communication of God, became flesh and lived among us. When Christ came and dwelt among us, he became the ABC of God, the message of God. He was the one who would communicate to all the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, so that when you look at Jesus, the message is, from God, I love you. And I've always loved you. And the message is, you can find forgiveness through my Son. Jesus is the ultimate communication of God. The message is loud and clear. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Father, this morning,